Yeah, if your mic is further away from the phone but closer to you. <laughs> That's it. I think you I do can, that. I think I can triangulate this situation. <laughs> I don't know. It's like a word problem. Ah. <laughs> uh. Welcome to Tordal Recall, uh, the podcast where we reread the Tamara Pierce books and yell about them. Uh, my name is Grace, and my pronouns are she, her. Um, and we are going to ask our friends who are not on the past Cal episodes with us our same good question, which is, what song do you imagine when Cal, uh, if you imagine a scene in which Cal punches Wilden in the face, what's playing <laughs> in the background? Which I do all the time. Yes, I, I mean, every day. Um, and I'm gonna gonna give that question to my friend Abby. <laughs> Hi, um, my name is Abby. My pronouns are she, her, and um, I. Well, okay. When I was when I first heard this question, I came up with a lot of possibilities, and I'm still kind of torn between two. So the first is Rebel Girl by Bikini Kill, and the second one is Fight the Power by Public Enemy, and I'm just gonna really stick with both of those. I can I can have a Kel Punches Wilden playlist. I don't need to have just one song. <laughs> you can and do have a Kel Punches Wilden playlist. Um, how does the alphabet work? Gus? Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hi, I'm Gus, and my pronouns are they, them. And I already answered this question. You can go check it out on our <laughs> last episode if you'd like to hear it cross-promotion for a previous episode of this same podcast. <laughs> I guess you could listen to, like, just the page episode of Kel, but that would be a weird choice. You just really hate um, First Test, I guess. I mean, First Test is the least exciting Kel book, but... <laughs> it's true, but it's cute. Uh, Kelly? Kelly. Kelly. I'm really living <laughs> in this moment. <laughs> My pronouns are she, her. Um, and my Kel Punching song of Kel Punching Wild is um, Shut Up, and I forget who it's by, although Amy knew and was really excited. Isn't it Simple Plan? Yes, it's mm-hmm. by Simple Plan, and Amy was really excited and really trashed me for that one. <laughs> so, <laughs> Great. But I stand by it. Good. As you should. You know, that's something, the answer to that question really lives in your heart. <laughs> like, it can't be altered. Yes. <laughs> based on other people's opinions. Um, All right, so now we're going to do our first segment, First Adventure, um, where we talk about our original experiences with this book. Um, And I was looking at the cover of this book, and I wanted to tell you a story about how one time I got a really terrible haircut on accident. (laughs) (laughs) Because I was, not that this is a bad haircut for Cal, it just wasn't a good haircut for me personally in my life. um, Because I was growing out an undercut, and I thought it was a lot longer than it was. And I was just like, yeah, sure, please cut everything the same length. And I have really thick hair, so then it was like completely triangular, and it was terrible. (laughs) And my, uh, my solace was that I thought I looked like Cal on the cover of this book. Um, and also, I was a sophomore in college. Wait, do, you have the, do you have the good cover? Um, I have the like orange, yes. classic. Yeah, one. I think that yeah. the good the good ones are definitely the ones with the illustration of like um, 
yeah, I guess on the cover of this one, she's got doing, you know, it's a very iconic scene in the book. She's like holding a spear. But also this one doesn't really match the other ones in the series, I feel like, because all of the other ones are just Kel like standing there with some animals. <laughs> yeah. um, and this one's very action filled. It's an action filled book. I mean, it's book. an action filled book. It is an action filled <laughs> book. <laughs> Gus and I concur. Kel punches <laughs> a lot of people. Actually, she kicks a lot of people. And slaps She them. does. I mean, she really both kicks and punches a lot of people. She does. Yeah, my first note in this book is also about the cover, and I wrote it inside the cover, and it just says, cover, is this dog ugly enough? <laughs> no. That's a great question. <laughs> um, what was your original experiences with Cal, either Abby or Kelly? Uh, well, I have read Kel a lot. Kel was the first um, Tamara Pierce books that I read. I got given first test as a present when I was like, I don't know, really, really young. Um, You know, I think it was among the first like chapter books that I read, I think. Um, And I, there's no going back, just all in on Tamara (laughs) Pierce and especially Kel. I, you know, I've reread Alana and Dane for sure, but I've reread Kel many times, including as recently as like two years ago. So I remember these books very well. <laughs> I am the Amy of this series because I um, <laughs> do not remember what happened in Kel at all, even though I read them when I was younger. Um, because I think I started from, I think I read the series sequentially. So I read Alana and Dane and then Kel. Um, and for some reason... I didn't really like Kel that much, so I think I only read it once through when I was probably in, like, fourth grade. Um, I think it wasn't, like, magical enough for me or something. But I'm really regretting that now because it's awesome! And I had a missed opportunity to, like, shape my life around the fact that I share half a name with (laughs) Kel. (laughs) Um, I'm not sure how much my microphone picked up my dramatic gasp, but... um... (laughs) Um, I'm really glad that you're coming around on Kel, though. Yeah, it's yeah. so good. I really, really am. Exciting. She's so cool, and she has great animal friends and great real she friends. She does. <laughs> <laughs> animal I friends are real friends. Are you implying that her animal friends are not real friends? <laughs> okay, great animal friends and great people friends. So many friends. I love it. I love it. So I've come full circle. Um, Gus, do you want to say anything about your first impressions of this book? Um, I don't have, like, particularly partic- particularly strong memories of the first time I read this book. Um, it doesn't... It kind of blends together with first test for me a lot. Um, they're kind of the same. Like, why isn't this just book? a trilogy? <laughs> I mean, they're really, they're really not. I have thoughts about how they're actually very sure. different, and first test definitely <laughs> belongs as its own book, because the villain, or I'm sorry, the primary antagonist is an entirely... Is entirely different between the two books. In the That's first true. book, it is Ooh. first test, and yeah. I mean it is first test. It is Wilden. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, been a day, y'all. Um, <laughs> the primary antagonist is the book itself. <laughs> <laughs> Look. Look. In the anyways, and in the second one, it is not that. It is other people being bullies, and Wilden is less of a bully. Anyways. Wilden is merely allowing them to be bullies. Yep. <laughs> yeah. and occasionally bullying himself yeah. but sometimes not mm-hmm. and for that we are supposed to laud him look, <laughs> this book I liked Wilden a lot more just 
purely, purely by virtue of him not being on the page as much. I swear to God. <laughs> I mean, there were some moments where I felt some vague affection towards Wilden, but... Yeah, me too, but that made me resent him more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, same. I got kind of sidetracked. I was going to say something about the first time that I read these books, which is just that my friends who got me to read these books did actually try to get me to start with the Kel books because they Mm -hmm. were like, you know, that those are the ones where it gets really good, which Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say is necessarily like that. I don't, I, I liked that I started with the Alana books because apparently I'm just a stickler for reading things in publishing order. <laughs> right. Yeah, I feel like if I I mean, I guess not necessarily because they're they are like different series, but I do have a vague feeling that if I had never read any Tamara Pierce before and was had decided that I was going to read Tamara Pierce, I would want to start with Alana like now because I'm kind of a weird completionist, but I was like so young that when I was given Kel that I don't even think that I knew the Alana series existed. Yeah. Right. I mean, I do things in order now, but I had, like, no no adherence to that uh-huh. as a rule as a child. Right. Well, the other thing about, like, is, if you know, if you're, if you're a kid, you don't have that much control over, like, what books you can physically acquire. So yeah. you do have to do some amount of stuff just, like, in the order that it is available to you. Especially a kid right. before the internet. Mm-hmm. Kids yeah. these days, man. <laughs> They've got the internet. It's I mean, weird. we have the internet. Don't act like we, the internet did not exist in you our youth. You couldn't do it, nearly as many things. No, and like smartphones didn't exist, so mm-hmm. kids had limited access to the internet. I couldn't buy a book on the internet. Well, kids also just can't buy things. Kids sure. now. Maybe. I don't know about it. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> this is very off topic. Um, first okay. test, what's the plot of this book? Um Normally Aurora does. Yeah, yeah. it's really good. School, school, school. Yeah, I don't think I can do Aurora level, but basically it's Kel trains for three years as a page, and then there's a dramatic conclusion. This is my right. favorite kind of school story, which is the kind of school story where it's like, oh no, this terrible thing is happening, and it's going to make me miss my test. <laughs> <laughs> no. Because it's like, not, it seems like it's just, it seems like very silly stakes to me. And I know that it is, in fact, in the book, like, the book does a lot of work to make it be like, no, yeah. this is actually a very important test. And Kel yeah. could have to repeat her entire page training. Which I also, I think it, it is funny that, like, Neil is there being older than Kel would be even if she did another four years of page training, <laughs> right. which does cut into the stakes she, a little she bit. She does even say something sassy about, like, oh, I'm going to try and be the second yeah. oldest yeah. page. <laughs> Um, I also like, this is very much a school book, which is kind of fun also it being more condensed because it's like Alana's first book, which is a school book that's pretty condensed and a lot happens. Mm -hmm. So it's got that kind of, you know, that, that Tamara Pierce vibe to it. But I really like the school vibe. There's one scene in particular where, uh, one of her friends says like, oh, if they make us do something hard in the next class, I'm going to stick my head in a rain barrel. (laughs) And that was just very much like a school feeling. (laughs) Like, yeah. like, if the next class is hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do really like about this book how, you know, there there's some, like, real fights that are, like, fights for their lives. And there's, you know, bullying plots and all of that stuff. Like, there's real drama there. But also, a lot of the actual plot interest just comes from, like, you know, yeah, they made school harder and it's hard now. <laughs> yeah. We have to do more. Yeah. 
the plot of this book is that Cal is training to be a page. Um, and then there's just sort of various incidences. And an early one is that... Um, that was not a good plural. Um, there's various incidents. Um, an early one is that she goes out on a training exercise in the woods and her group is attacked by bandits and she manages to sort of lead them in a, a very capable manner, but it makes the training masters kind of crack down harder on them. Um, and she rigorously trains and she has friends and they do stuff in school. Mm-hmm. And then the climax is around... Uh, her... Well, we haven't mentioned yeah. part of the plot yet, which is important to the comic, <laughs> yeah. which is that she acquires a friend and maid who is Lalasa. Yeah, yeah. And she hires her at the request of Gower. Her, yeah, Gower. Um, I think her yes. servant. Yes. Yeah. And Lalasa is the best. Yes, she's the best. Lalasa is the best, but that's not actually part of the plot. And and she gets a second friend. A second friend who's also in the climax, who's a dog friend named yes. Jump. <laughs> yes. A dog friend who's very good at protecting. Um, and Lalasa has a history of being abused, and that is extremely important to the plot. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. Kel is, like, has taken her in and is, like, training her in self-defense and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, that's part of the stuff that happens in this book. <laughs> um, but then the, the climax is... Um, Right, there's these big tests that the pages have to pass before they become squires, and uh, if you're a little bit late for the test, they'll make you repeat a year of being a page, and if you're really late, they'll make you repeat all four years. Um, And some unknown person, in order to prevent Kel from making it to the tests on time, uh, hires some people to kidnap her maid, Lalasa. Slash friend. Slash Mm -hmm. friend, obviously. Um, although I think they pro- well, I, it is actually, like, you could get into the psychology of, like, kidnappers here and, like, the fact that, you know, most nobles don't think much of their servants, but, like, these people clearly realized that Kel cared enough about her servant to, like, miss a test in order to go find her. So that's what happens. Kel goes and finds her. It's a very dramatic scene. They're very afraid of- Kel's very afraid of heights and she has to overcome her fear of heights. Much like the Alana book that was all about her facing her fears, yeah. except Cal has but one fear. And it's <laughs> yeah, shout outs to Tamara Pierce for making like four different climbs of the same staircase very interesting and dramatic to read. It's true. It's very true. <laughs> and maybe it's just so that we like know how scary it is already. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or maybe she just didn't think it was realistic that there would be two tall buildings on the same <laughs> No, I think, that's, I think that there's, like, a lot of... I mean, maybe this is getting into the next section now, but there is a lot of foreshadowing in this book. Yeah, yes. and I think there was even foreshadowing in the previous book, wasn't it? In First Test, yeah. when they mentioned that a student had, what, committed suicide by oh, jumping yeah. off the tower? Yeah, they they established the existence of the tower and that it's really tall and scary, and they also established the, um, the examinations in the yeah. previous book. But then they, right. they really hit those hard again several mm-hmm. times in this book. Right. So let's move into our next segment, yes, uh, which is Run the Dominion Jewel. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, the plot and the world building mm-hmm. and um, the writing of this book. Um, do that now. <laughs> <Thank> well, <you. laughs> we were talking a, a, like, a bit about how this book 
like we the way we were talking about it made it seem kind of like like it was a little bit scattered and maybe not as you know sort of more like how we were talking about the Alana books but I felt that it was like a you know a pretty cohesive book like thematically I felt it felt mm-hmm. good it felt coherent I really agree I think a little bit of part of what makes this a hard book to describe is that Kel is such an emotionally focused character and relationship focused character. And so then this book is really like relationship emotion based book. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the events are her navigating her relationships with her friends and things happening between them. And a lot of the scenes are really nice and fun to read and establish a lot of sure but there's a lot of like you know her her doing training and her getting in fights like there's a lot of plot stuff i think that she's also focused on it's just that it's more like it builds together in a very sort of natural way where it really feels like you know not like one thing directly leads to another but that these are just the events of kel's life and they happen to all sort of be connected i don't know right Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know, there there are a few things that it hits really hard, like Kel's fear of heights and the existence of that tower and the existence of the um uh the small examinations that lead up to the big exams and like, you know, Neil being really worried about those for what seems like no real reason. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, Kel uh th- there's the bit where, you know, Kel is getting into fights with the the older boys there but then they sort of back off and then there's the bit where where she's like oh they're planning something and then they try to do you know a really public humiliation at midwinter when all the pages are serving the lords and ladies um and then she sort of gets them to back off by teaming up with the other pages but then you know that basically happens again as all those pages become squires and she's like hmm they've kind of backed off but i don't totally trust them You know, so there's a lot of stuff that leads into the climax, I guess. There is. And I liked – something that I liked about this book is that I feel like, um, you know, it is like the other books we've talked about, you know, for kids, young readers. But um, I feel like it kind of trusts that you'll get the amount of foreshadowing from it that Mm -hmm. it wants you to have. Mm -hmm. And it's not as, like, aggressively pointing to the things that you need to keep track of, um, which is nice. I think it makes it – feel like it's hanging together better and it makes it kind of like a smoother read compared to some of the Alana books that I think are a little bit more like, guys, remember, Alana's afraid of the, co- the cold. <laughs> she, What is she yeah. afraid of? The cold. Right, well, it helps that um, that Kel's fear of heights is something that she thinks a lot about a lot and mm-hmm. something that she's like working on a lot. So it sort of comes up naturally because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also something that her training master is like forcing her into a lot of situations where she has to confront it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a world building thing yeah. that's okay. like a little bit different that uh, I did notice in this book we've probably learned it before um, but they reference like one of Kel's sisters being like an eastern lady mm-hmm. now instead of remembering their Yamani teachings which made me realize that Tamara Pierce switched Europe and Asia yeah. in terms of direction <laughs> which like that was gonna it like throws me off so much fool us about <laughs> That they weren't really fantasy Europe and fantasy Asia. They're completely different. <laughs> Honestly, I think this may have legitimately thrown me off about where Europe and Asia were in relation to each other <laughs> as a kid. <laughs> oh, no. 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 O
No. I mean, probably not like a lot, but definitely, you know, because I knew that they were fantasy Europe and fantasy Asia, but then she kept referring it to it as the East, and I got very confused. See, as a kid, and up until probably I was in high school, I just like couldn't quite conceptualize globes and also directions and stuff, (laughs) and it didn't make sense to me that we refer to part of the world as east from other parts of the world because it's a circle it's a round i mean that's fair (laughs) if you go far enough east you'll hit everything that's true (laughs) that's how gloves work tortal does not appear to be a circle i mean presumably they just haven't explored it oh my god is it a flat earth it could be a flat earth (laughs) there's a place called the roof of the world that's true. You know what else is so That's annoying, fair. though? <laughs> the Yamani I- Islands, like, we learn about their weather, and they're supposed to be, you know, like, sort of like Asia in terms of the weather, it seems I mean, like. Asia's a really uh, big area, but sort right, of like Right, exactly. Maybe. But in this map, it's a small area that's north of Tortal. And Tortal has weather like Europe and the Yamani Islands. Tortal has a lot of weather because, (laughs) like, I I think of Tortal as very European, but it does go far enough south to have a full-on desert in it. Yeah, it has, like, Like, the Mediterranean, like, down to, like, I'd say, like, the top of Africa, right? And fantasy fantasy Europe. Mm -hmm. Also, I would say that only strengthens my argument, which is, do they have a different sun? <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> is the sun? <laughs> okay, it also, okay, I, I almost said it, it also might not be oriented north-south, but I think there's a compass on there, so, you know. I think it's, it's oriented like, north-south, yeah. I mean, isn't Japan, like, Wait, relatively what if it north? goes, what if it's, like, yeah. instead of being a globe, it's, like, uh, well, what if they're, like, on the inside of a globe? <laughs> Abby, I hate this. <laughs> I love it. Wait, that's on the roof of the world. Wow. Yeah, and that's why it's called the roof. Of the it could be on top of the globe. This is the good. whole world is in fact a roof. Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! We oh, solved wow. it. We can move on now. Mm. I like and that. that's our segment. How do globes work? <laughs> Everyone's always wondering. Yeah, but yeah. Wait, sorry. On the on the point about geography, I just wanted to say that, like, I think. And we'll see this later, so we might get more confirmation about this. But my impression is kind of that um, the uh, the Yamani Islands are more like, you know, they're like Asia, but they're more northern. And then the, the Copper Isles are like Southeast Asia. I thought the Copper Isles turned out to be like the Caribbean somehow. Like, didn't, didn't they have mm-hmm. the marmoset that came from like the Amazon jungle? So it was secretly like the what Amazon on the islands. Oh. Oh, that was just our weird fan theory. <laughs> That's my fan theory. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> what? We went a lot of directions. <laughs> was this on a Patreon episode and I missed it? No, I think it was on one of the Dane episodes. I think... Oh, a Dane episode. Yeah, okay. right. Because it was when, I think it was when they were in Karthak and there was a menagerie that had a marmoset from the Copper Isles which is like a South American animal. But I think they just are, I think it's just wacky geography. I'm pretty sure they're South Asia. Yeah, there are marmosets in this book too. Yeah. It was the specific type of marmoset. But anyway. The problem is that we have a biology major on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Let's continue. (laughs) Okay, first of all, just, I think about this all the time. I feel like I don't say it enough on this podcast. Uh, The way that like, both geography and, like, ethnic groups work in this, mm-hmm. drives me up the wall. Not in that I think <laughs> it's bad, but just in that it's so clearly what 
Tamara Pierce does is she's so clearly mirroring actual groups mm-hmm. right. in mm-hmm. the real world. And I don't know how to deal with that. And <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. Neither does she. What? <laughs> Neither does she. Oh. <laughs> yes, okay, so that is also part of my thought. But yeah, no, I was thinking about that because another author that does that is um, Lee Bardugo in the Six of Crows series. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a good comparison point. Yeah, and I don't know. I feel like that one, I, I can sort of parse it more easily, and I don't know if that's just because it's it's much more sort of specific about the cultures it draws from. So, like, you know, she has one series of books that's primarily set in fantasy Russia, and it's, like, exactly Russia, and then, I mean, not exactly, but, you know. And then another one that's um, uh, where the main, or, like, one of the main settings, at least, is, like, fantasy amsterdam and you know you don't see a lot of fantasy amsterdams Mm -hmm. so it feels a lot it feels very different from just um you know tortal being like fantasy europe and that's you know with a sort of vague fantasy scandinavia above it and like sort of a fantasy japan you know and it's mostly fantasy western europe yeah and i kind of get where that's coming from too because like you know there's kind of a rich tradition of um fantasy um, like this kind of classic fantasy being set in like vaguely, high fantasy swords and Europe. sorcery. Yeah. yeah, swords and sorcery is often set in just Europe-ish, mm-hmm. and um, it's good to push against that and be like, why does fantasy inherently have to be based off of European ideas and settings and stuff like that? Um, so I get the the like drive to expand that. I guess like I think that's right. cool. But it's just yeah, like, and it's you know. it's sort of tricky because you know you don't want to expand it by just I mean you like for for some types of fantasy I think it works well to just say you know okay this is a standard high fantasy setting but you know there's a very diverse population in terms mm-hmm. of like race and ethnicity but if you're doing if you're doing sort of more world building you want to have you know different countries with different cultures in addition to just different races, and I don't know. It's a tricky thing to handle in that sort of paradigm where you are drawing a lot from, like, Western Europe or ideas of Western Mm -hmm. Europe to make your sort of basic fantasy world. Right, right. And I think we can talk about that more, um, like, sort of some of the more intricate aspects of uh, culture and how Mm -hmm. to address that, or how we think you should address that when we get a little bit further into our more social justice discussion, too um do we want to move into a little bit more about characters or do people have more to i say have about a world i have a world world building thing i have a very have important... you lost your privileges <laughs> i have a really important <laughs> world building question that needs to be addressed yes please okay yeah. how big is kel's bedroom <laughs> Because she, because I, I was already questioning the size of her bedroom when she said that she could do glaive practice in it. Yeah. In addition to like having her bed in there and like all her trinkets and stuff, but apparently it can fit five people practicing with staffs, and in addition yeah. to two people helping them. So how big is this room? And does every page have a room that big? Maybe how she's big is the palace? Bed. <laughs> and glaive practice. They, they like move the furniture. <laughs> But even if you put, like, even if you stacked her desk on top of her bed, like, how is there floor space for five children to wave long sticks around? 
I mean, I just think it is a lot bigger because, like, I want to picture, like, a dorm room. It yeah. must be much bigger than right. a dorm it room. It must be bigger than that. But it's a medieval building. Why does it have a room that big for one 10-year-old to sleep in? <laughs> I have no idea. Because also, <laughs> they must all have big rooms because Neil hosts their study Right, which is, like, 15 when it's people. Like 14 or 15 people. Yeah. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> That's too many people. Yeah. Yeah. And she and also she has, has, like... Oh, go ahead, go ahead. She has, like, the chamber, separate chamber for Lilasa to sleep in, mm-hmm. and, like, does she draw her bath in her room, or is there, like, an entirely separate place where she can have her bath and stuff? I think she has her bath in her dressing room, but the dressing room is, like, also a good size, because Lilasa right, sleeps in there, Lilasa and there's room for there. her to take a bath. And, like, yeah. sew dresses. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's wild. Swanky. I mean, it is a castle. Yeah, but there's, like, a lot of people staying in that castle. Or palace, I don't... Sure, We figured this out last time. I think it might be both Uh. a castle and a palace. Possibly. what's the difference? Don't email us. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, wait, do we have um, linguistic stuff? I don't. I I have just a tiny amount. (laughs) I have a tiny bit of linguistics. Oh, I wait. I do have one thing, actually. But it would involve talking about a whole other different book, which I don't think we can do. So okay. say your thing. Okay. I mean, I have a couple things, but they're all very small. One is we, we'll probably talk about um, – m- we'll get more into this when we talk about, uh, like, culture and race and stuff. But I did just want to point out that they used the word shaman again, but for yeah. Imani this time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and again, as another word for wizard, still wrong. Yeah, maybe, like, or maybe it, it's like mage, but with a kind of religious context, but you sure never hear them use it for anyone who's like European-ish. Right, fantasy so. European or fantasy no. white. Fantasy European, yeah. Did we? Did they use uh, shaman for the fantasy super northern European people? Like the fantasy scanners? I feel like they might have done that. They might have done that. Fantasy Scannerans. I guess real Scannerans. Fantasy Super Northern Europe. (laughs) Fantasy Scandinavian. (laughs) The one thing that I was going to touch on a little bit uh, is just, like, if you read this book, you start to notice that sometimes they change the syntax to sound just sort of generally Mm old-timey, and there are conventions around that for how you sound medieval. Mm -hmm. Like, they say something like, is he still abed? Um, Or, like, uh, want you to buy him or something like that. Um, and that is actually, I'm pretty sure, sort of, a, of, you know, an interpretation of Old English syntax in terms of word order. Maybe not Old um, English. But like, but yeah. Middle or English. Medieval middle English. English yeah. yeah. Middle English in terms of word order. Um, but I'm just sort of interested in like the conventions around that. And generally it's not used so how do you pick when you want to use it if you want people to remember it's medieval-ish yeah i mean there's there's both like you can intentionally stick in medieval syntax or you can just write out something that sounds too modern Mm -hmm. and i think that um in these books you know for the most part the characters talk like regular people but i do think they also like avoid some constructions that would read as modern to us which is a really interesting choice of, like, what constructions those are. And I kind of doubt that it right. actually corresponds to, like, which ones are were used the historically. No, yeah. absolutely yeah. not. We've talked about that thing, the, like, that thing where the name Tiffany sounds very modern, but it's actually not. We've mm-hmm. talked about that on this podcast. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Right, there are things that just register to us as too modern, even though they're not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that Neilan is a very goofy example <laughs> of, like, <laughs> doing, like, a, I don't know, like, a backwards etymology of, like, how can you get the name Neil but make it sound, like, more fantasy? <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's my linguistics contribution. I was wondering if you were going to talk about Mithros's. <laughs> yes, that was my other What? <laughs> Wait, when is this? What? <laughs> I don't think you're allowed to say that word, Abby. I'll believe it. <laughs> Where did this come it from? Like in the first, like, seven pages of this book. It's literally Wait, on page seven. Yeah. How is this on page seven? Wait, I, I'm okay, sorry. It I'm doesn't looking. actually say it, obviously. <laughs> yeah, no. It, it is censored. Wow. Within the book. <laughs> oh, my God. Someone should read what it says for the podcast so we don't just make a lot of noises. Yeah, okay, I've got it. I've got it covered. I can explain what's going on. So we've talked (laughs) previously about um, how we wish that uh, Tamara Pierce would tell us the forbidden um, Tortal swears. And she has not, in fact, told us the forbidden Tortal swear, but she has, by um, elision, by not telling us, told us a Tortal swear. (laughs) She sure has. (laughs) Um... When Kel first encounters Jump and saves him from the cook who wants to, like, kill him for, like, you know, um, uh, stealing some sausages or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he recognizes her when she's, like, trying to trying to save this dog, and he says, Kel, oh, Mithros is... It's cut off. He looked at her and changed what he'd been about to say. Shield. You're the girl. <laughs> being soft-hearted. Blah, 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 blah. Wait, Abby, are you saying that the alternative is just... <laughs> I think the alternative is that it might be what we've previously referred to on the show as a wizard rod. <laughs> wow. I thought you were saying that the alternative is just, oh, Mithras is... <laughs> Look. Well, I might say, that's more old-timey. Oh my god, I'm gonna cry. We should probably cut upsetting. out a lot of this. This <laughs> Oh, man. Cool. I mean, like, what else would it be? <laughs> yeah, like, what else? Yeah. Do you look at a small child and be like, I cannot say that in front of the small child. <laughs> right, I mean, they're saying a swear, right? It's not a clean world. Like, people in this universe <laughs> do swear. Yeah. So, that's the Tortal swear that we know mm-hmm. now. Um, <laughs> like, tell us the forbidden swears. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. Let this man say a swear to a 10 year old. (laughs) She's 11, I'm sorry. I don't think that man can say the swear to the 10 year olds reading the book either. That's the problem. No, I think that's the main thing. It would be PG 13. I'm sure that Keladry of Mindelin has heard swear words before. (laughs) Yep. Anyway, that was exciting. Oh, man. Yeah. Can we talk about characters? Yes! Absolutely. Yes. I'm so excited. Um, I want to talk about my new best friend, my baby boy, Owen, the biggest Owen. nerd in the whole world. Oh, yeah. And also my best friend. Yeah. <laughs> my notes for Owen are just the um, the bullet points are uh, good boy, <laughs> chubby, and then not much technique, but he's got plenty of heart, which is a quote. <laughs> oh, 
Uh, he's so cute. And at the beginning, when they first, Kel first meets him, and he's like, well, I really wanted to go to the library. And then he skips off going, books, books, books. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was so good. Right. In my head, like, my image of Owen is mostly just that he's, like, really goofy and, like, enthusiastic about fighting. But actually, he's just like that about everything. He's so excited he to learn from books. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from Cal. Yeah, he loves and Cal he keeps, so much. That's a friendship thing, I guess, more. Jolly, but... like during yeah. the big forest fight, he's like, oh, that was jolly good. Except for when we thought we were all going to die. <laughs> oh, um, he's so good. He's just so It's just cute. like, Cal meets Owen, and Owen just like immediately is like, I am, you're my favorite. He like, yeah. <laughs> Cal like starts punching people for Owen, and Owen is like, I'm joining in now. And it's just, oh, you sweet, well-intentioned boy. Yeah, right. No, that was such a sweet character moment that he was like, you know, I mean, Kel is so ready to just fight for justice at all times. And Owen is right there with her. And Owen's just always ready to fight. He's just always ready to fight. But especially if it's for a good cause. But especially for justice. Yeah, he's just great. He's so cute. And like, I love... Uh, he keeps bringing even smaller babies to Cal. <laughs> oh my god, yes. That's exactly like the uh, the creepies in Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah. Like one tiny kid shows up and then a year later they just bring another even tinier kid. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, while we're talking about Kel's good friends, I need to rectify a very serious error, which is that you guys did not mention Prince Rold once in the last two episodes, and he, I, I demand that we love and appreciate Rold. <laughs> He's a very good He's boy. He's a sweet boy. Yeah. He's, He's just such quiet. a good boy. He's but... very quiet, and he has difficulty making friends, but also, like, in the previous book especially, it stuck out to me that he, um... You know, I mean, Kel and Neil are the weirdos because she's a girl and he's really old. And Rold hangs out with them, the weirdos. Okay. And I love that. Neil's also the weirdo because he's weird. Yeah, that's yeah. true. <laughs> to be fair, if Neil was the same age as everyone else, he would still be weird. But I feel like he has a, he has a license to be weird because he's old and he just really leans into that. Fancy um, boy, Neil! But, I still love you! No, okay. <laughs> We're going to talk about Neil, but first we have to talk about Roald, <laughs> okay, because okay. he's wonderful. <laughs> but I also just feel like I I just love Roald in general because he's a sweet, quiet boy. But also, I like him in um in comparison to Jonathan, because a big part of his character is that he really wants to be careful about, like, not calling on royal privilege. And, like, he's really yeah. careful to, you know, eat at every different table and not, like, seem like he's favoring one person too much. He's really considerate. Yeah, he's so considerate. And he, right, he doesn't want to impose on people. And Like, when Jonathan was a page, he just had his, like, little clique of friends that he, like, ran around. Like, he he was just, like, out there giving orders to people as a page. <laughs> and then when he became king, he immediately just promoted all of his friends from when he was a page. <laughs> and I just think that Roald is a nice comparison point to that. <laughs> Well, right. I also think we never really talked about, or maybe we have, but like when John first became friends with Alana, he didn't know that Alana was like different mm-hmm. in any way from any other page. So he wasn't meaningfully accepting an outcast. That was an accident. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then he had to like become slightly more tolerant, although still bad, <laughs> once he found out. So like, 
Roald is doing something so much bigger, you know? Yeah. Like... Yeah, no, I feel like Roald really, really just makes an effort to be, like, a good kid and a good heir, and, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think that I, I appreciate him a lot. There's just so many friends in this book. There are, there are so many to... friends. But we're not on yeah. friends, we're on characters right now, and I have a segue mm-hmm. from Roald, which is that... Since we're talking, this is our character building section, I think we have to mm-hmm. talk about a character who was not built at all, um, and who was introduced <laughs> in the last book, and that is Princess Chizakami, who this book, mm-hmm. if we yes! were told, died in an earthquake. Yep. We've never seen her on screen. She is so disposable. Yeah. So that was a fun thing that happened. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, why did that happen? I mean, maybe just to delay the marriage a little bit? literally okay there's no okay first of all there's no reason for her to have died there's any reason to call off that marriage you can make up any just like really bs explanation and be like oh there was some like political scandal whatever she didn't want to go through it whatever she ran off and did adventuring yeah she she eloped like there's yeah she eloped anyway so for some reason tamra pierce decided that the thing to do to for whatever reason was to make this character die even though she's, like, one of the very few named Yamani characters. Yeah, like, there were plot things of, like, oh, now Kel's parents have to stick around for longer mm-hmm. to help with the treaty, but, like, all of those things are so minor, and there could have been so many other reasons yeah, for that Yeah, so it's just happen. really weird to have, like, one of the few named Yamani characters just mm-hmm. die like that, even though, like, it's not a character who has been on screen that kind of makes it weirder. Um, yeah, it does make it weirder, especially because, like, for Roald, it's kind of just like, oh, well, that inconvenience is out of the way. Don't have to worry about marriage for a minute. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah. to be fair, he is more inconvenienced now. Yes. <laughs> I don't think this was, like, a convenient thing for him. Just really weird. Yeah, although it didn't. Yeah, I, it's really strange. Yeah. I don't understand the why that choice would be there. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about romantic boy Neil and his romantic, romantic crushes? I really want to read Neil's bad poetry. <laughs> and my favorite neil is a super romantic self-absorbed boy was um when he starts crushing on the queen at the end of his series of crushes in this book and his friends all get like baguette loaves and hit them (laughs) with them until the loaves break apart so that's my favorite neil moment he is a romantic boy too Mm -hmm. romantic maybe Mm -hmm. he loves to have crushes Um, Cal is wonderful. She's a very hard worker. It's the first thing we learn about her. Like, the whole first scene with Cal in it is just, like, she works real hard. Um, she's also a good te- mm-hmm. teacher and a good strategist. And those are my favorite bits of Cal character development from this book. Yeah, I, I think, like, this book, we really start to get Kel as a leader more than we've gotten in the previous book. Mm-hmm. Because in the previous book, she was 10. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But also because I think the, in the previous book... The only climax thing where there was real fighting happening was um, uh, when there were also, you know, a bunch of soldiers there, mm-hmm. which makes sense. Uh, and you sort of be start to see, I guess, her leading the other pages with the study group and everything, but that's very sort of accidental. But in this book, you just get, like, in a crisis situation, people turn to Kel because she knows what to do. And that's right. an interesting development. Yeah, and we also see that alongside the pages being taught how to be leaders and that being mm-hmm. a point, which I find really interesting and really cool. Super yeah. cool. Yeah. 
I also, it was in the last book, I was kind of worried about her because I felt like, you know, through a lot of the books, she's at really actively suppressing, outwardly showing her emotions in mm-hmm. ways that don't always right. seem like super healthy. And you could see her like struggling with it and maybe suffering a bit from it. Mm-hmm. Not saying that you always have to be super, you know, outspoken about your emotions. But I really liked at the end of this book, especially like after she's failed to show up for the test and like some of the squires are taunting her in the dining hall like saying oh are you gonna leave now like haha I bet you paid those people to kidnap for you and she like talks back to them and it's like well I'm not afraid of the test because obviously you passed and she was like I guess I didn't do what a good Yamani did should but so she's sort of <laughs> yeah like, no I mean like there it is a little questionable how like the not showing emotions thing is framed as like a Yamani thing specifically but I do like that she's you know coming out of her shell enough to be snarky mm-hmm. yeah, yeah and not that she always has to do it but she's sort of like more comfortable mm-hmm. expressing herself and figuring out when so I really liked that this is sort of related but there's a line of narration where um, she's like looking at the king and she thinks something that makes her laugh. And she says, um, like, she smiled, but ke- or she wanted to smile, but kept it inside. She didn't want the, th- the king to think that she had smiled at him, <laughs> which I just think is very delightful. Savage. <laughs> yeah. So also, relatable. I don't know. I don't know how to fit this in, so I'm just going to say it here. But my favorite Kelma in this book was when she was training and she broke her lance and then she had to get the new light lance and then Neil mm-hmm. and then Wilda was like, why are you so bad now? And Neil was like, she's been training with all lead-weighted weapons this whole time. And then he was like, what? It was the best! Wilden was just speechless. <laughs> yeah, So hardcore! Yeah, that was a, an amazing... I mean, it w- worked really well as like a reveal in that moment, yeah. but you know, it's goofy that... I guess just because of the way these books move really fast and cover a bunch of years, we got in the previous book her getting a lance with lead in it but then we didn't get her putting lead in all her other weapons because she thought that was easier than just getting a new lance i guess or i don't know Mm -hmm. she's just really determined it was awesome i found that Uh, so satisfying so anyway we can move to lalasa now yeah um lalasa and tian forever Mm -hmm. what a beautiful couple (laughs) that's my character commentary i think she's part of a beautiful that's valid (laughs) that is valid Uh, i think though i mean we should talk about like you know, she's very clearly presented as a character who has been abused, mm-hmm. and that's, like, an interesting right. thing to do in a book for children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And also, like, Cal never really learns to have empathy for mm-hmm. that, mm. um, which I expected as an arc, like, to the extent that I just kept being like, oh, we just haven't had that scene mm-hmm. yet. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that Cal, like... You know, yeah, she she does express internally a fair amount of frustration with Alasa mm-hmm. and, like, doesn't, you know, there's not really a scene where she has, like, a realization that, like, oh, that wasn't great. But um, I do think that she, uh, well, okay, I, I think, mostly I think that she's 12. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, I get that. Yeah. And, like, yeah, it is hard, but, like. Like, being frustrated with someone for their reaction that are, like, born out of trauma, mm-hmm. it's just hard to read. It's sad. Yeah. yeah. Like, but I not... also think that, like, there's a very clear thing where, like, you know, Kel is frustrated by her reactions and she thinks about that, but she doesn't act on it because she knows that it's not Loss's fault. I think... Right. And I think what a, a little bit of what's happening there, and I agree that it's difficult to read, mm-hmm. but I think some of what's happening there is that we're being shown pretty clearly that even though Kel doesn't realize it, the readers 
can maybe pick up on the fact that Kel should be being more empathetic to Lalasa. And I think it's pretty evident, even when you're a kid, speaking mm-hmm. from what I vaguely remember reading this as a kid, um, mm-hmm. that Lalasa has, like, has been through trauma. I think trauma is one of those things that's very, very difficult to understand if you haven't been through it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, also just specific types of trauma and stuff. Um, but just, like, also if you've never been through through that sort of thing, it can be really hard to realize that other people have histories that are just so drastically different from yours and are going to have reactions that right. are so drastically different. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think it was interesting right. to see and I think helpful and, like, in some ways, like, it's a good, I think, I, I think it worked well as a teaching moment. For yeah, I agree. It could be empathy building for a yeah. reader. I, I get that. I think that's important. Yeah. I mean, one thing that was particularly hard for me, or, like, I think is a difficult mm-hmm. moment, not, like, badly done, right. but difficult, mm-hmm. is when Lalasa is saying, oh, like, she's only had really bad experiences with the men in yeah. her life. Uh, like, violent and abusive and terrible and she's hanging out with like Cal and she's comfortable with the pages Mm -hmm. and Cal says oh they're not so bad and Lalasa says well wait until they're men um which is very much based in her own trauma she's not trying to judge Cal's Mm -hmm. friends um and Cal is like well not these ones or whatever and that like you know I just think that there are a couple moments besides that but that as well Mm -hmm. where it could be a little bit more of a discussion point of like well you could have new and different experiences or like I understand why you feel that way because of your experiences. I mean, that what that line made me think was that Kel doesn't know that her friends aren't right. going to grow up to be bad people. And Kel doesn't know that her friends aren't, in fact, like ab- abusive people, you know? That's not really right. a thing you can know. I mean, right. It, it's been made clear in these books that you know, I mean, certainly the pages in general, but even Kel's friends do not care about the well-being of their servants mm-hmm. as much as Kel does. Right. Yeah, like, Lalasa, like, is, like, maybe she's technically not in danger in that situation, but she is. Like, that is so understandable that she feels that way, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And to that, um, I just wish that Kel... Had we got to see Kel with a d- deeper understanding of Lalasa as a person, I guess, because I think Lalasa seems so cool and interesting. Mm-hmm. And then near the end of the book, after they'd known each other for years, um, she kind of says something about like she still doesn't trust Lalasa for sure not to have gone run away, even though there's so many reasons she thinks she wouldn't. And she's like, well, other servants would run away, but probably not Lalasa. And it's like, well, why do you still look? Oh, down that wasn't my on the reading of that at all. Servants. That w- my reading what? of that was very much that like a thing that nobles say about servants generally, and that Kel has heard from adults in her life is that um, that servants run away, but that she right, would not but- think that Lalasa would do that at all. Right, and I get that she trusts her servant, but then mm-hmm. you know, I I would hope that it could lead her to questioning an overall understanding. I mean, I guess just going back to like this maybe something slightly earlier or the like ethos of this whole discussion but I guess I read Kel's relationship with Lalasa like a little bit differently as sort of maybe in a more generalized sense as the way that you can come to like 
try to be friends and be empathetic with somebody whose like life experiences are very different from yours and who you might not totally understand. So like, you know, at the end, like Kel is pretty aware that she's like, I can't like Lhasa reacts differently than me to things like when Lhasa is like really scared at the top of the tower and doesn't want to get on the stairs and Kel like gets really frustrated with her and she's like, wait, no, I need to take a step back and remember that this is what she's gone through and this is how she's reacting and she like did a good thing. So she's able to sort of like way yeah, the way definitely. that somebody understands the world differently even if she can't like totally empathize with her so I thought that was a cool way to like teach kids like or like teach people in general like you know like you can have people who you can't totally understand but you can still try to empathize with mm-hmm. yeah and I, I do think it's a good sort of learning experience for kids in that or potentially in that it show um it shows Kel thinking like uh you know, like, oh, this is frustrating. Why can't Lalasa just, you know, react the way that I would react? But then not taking that out on Lalasa and like understanding that, you know, she's going to react her own way and that's okay. Okay, the last character I want to talk about is Jump. Jump, all I just want to say about Jump, um, you said earlier he was really good at protecting, and I really think the he protect, but he also attack me is really appropriate. <laughs> Jump. That's so good. I also wanted to say about Jump that um, Kel describes him as homely, and Neil <laughs> describes him as the ugliest dog in the world. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying about the cover. Is that dog ugly? Enough? No! I mean, no. That, that is very much how I picture Jump, but also that's because I had this cover as a kid, so like it definitely influenced me. Um, I don't know. It's a pretty ugly dog. No, it's so cute! <laughs> anyway. It's also so small. If that's like a... Right. A, right. Like, not a fully grown adult, this is a very small dog. Yeah, I mean, I, Jump definitely is a pretty small dog. He's small and enough that, tall. Um, that Kel can carry him around pretty easily. Yeah, that's true. Which makes his ferociousness all the more impressive. It's very true. He's he a ki- good boy. Jump has killed a lot of people. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> oh. <laughs> He's a good, strong boy, and he loves his friends. <laughs> I love Jump. Should we talk about what happened in the stables? Yeah. Okay. Um, so what happened in the stables, which we did not really touch on uh, when we did the plot summary, but it's like an early example of, um, I guess, the, some of the older pages picking fights because Kel is a girl and then her friends like reacting to that. Um, so it starts with one of the crappy older pages so, uh, Garvey, I guess. <laughs> I don't know anything about Garvey. <laughs> um, so he says, um, so, Falaron, you're friends with her now because you can have her whenever you want? And then Falaron tries to fight Garvey over that. Kel, like, pulls him back and is like, it's not worth it. Just ignore him. And then Neil says, Joran is so pretty. Say, Garvey, are you two friends because you can have him? And then this causes a fight which literally destroys the stables. <laughs> <laughs> oh, homophobia is just a real strong force. 
Yeah. yeah, which is great also because obviously, like, are they gonna fix the stables? No, they, no. Well, they, they did actually mention that like Wilden was very mad at them, and they did mention that yeah. part of their punishment was helping rebuild the stables. Mm-hmm. But that's a big fight, guys. Yeah, 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 that's a big fight. Well, also partially the horses helped destroy the stable because the horses helped break up the fight, which is a whole other thing. Oh my god! <laughs> right. <laughs> and just like very creepy but also a little bit cute that the horses are just like their babysitters I yeah. love it <laughs> but then there's a moment after mm-hmm. where Cal is like um, oh you know you shouldn't use that as an insult because mm-hmm. Yamani people respect gay people <laughs> and then Neil is like but they think it's an insult so it's fine if I use it as one Yeah, that's not how the system <sighs> of homophobia works Neil that is a real argument that people make in real life, and it is bad. Right, no, it's the same as when people, you know, make fun of Trump by calling him fat and then say, you know, well, it's not that I hate fat people, it's just that Trump really cares about his appearance, so, like, that's an insult that really gets to him, but it's also an insult that every fat person in America hears when you say it about Trump, so, you know. Goofy. It's not. Like, you can't just selectively engage with no you can't just say that joran thinks it's an insult so that's why i said it joran wasn't the one who used it as an insult neil yeah come (laughs) on and also in that same conversation kel says to neil like why did you do that like i don't need people defending my Mm -hmm. honor and he says well if people start getting in fights about your honor then you might get kicked out he started a fight (laughs) Right, Neil's whole argument there was like, oh no, if your virtue becomes a whole thing, then you might get kicked out because of it. But his idea of what to do about that was just to start (laughs) the biggest fight ever. (laughs) To start like a full-on brawl. Yeah. I mean, I honestly think that he might have just like been angry and then justified it <laughs> retroactively, but like yeah. that was a poor choice, Neil. Oh. Kel had the right reaction there, which was to stop the fight from happening, <laughs> and then right. Neil destroyed a stable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Said some homophobia and destroyed an entire stable yeah. with the help of his friends. I mean, he did not single-handedly destroy a stable, and it does seem like these boys are always ready to fight. <laughs> they are always ready to fight. It's true. Um, And yeah, I mean, I do think it's interesting that like, you know, what Garvey said was clearly a misogynist insult directed at Kel and then, you know, Neil just turned it around and made it homophobic and like, obviously neither of those things are good, but like, that's not a way that you fight misogyny. (laughs) Both bad. Yeah. It also ties in to what I was saying in our discussion of first test, which is that I don't know what the heck to make of Joran's effeminacy in these books. Yeah. They did it again. (laughs) It still just seems to exclusively be used as a weird counterpoint to how terrible he is, which is just... Even in this book, he tells Kel that she's too rough and tumble for him. Like, he's too refined and feminine. Right, even though like... he's also a page and squire, which is wild. Right. Yeah. So weird. Yeah. It's just a, a very weird contrast to these, um, you know, Alana and Kel are both heroines doing very traditionally masculine things, and they, like, wear pants, and they go around and get in sword fights and stuff. Um, and then to have them both be paired with very effeminate 
villains that like care a lot about fashion. Uh, it's weird. Hell dwells it's real a weird. lot and on how pretty Joran is. Like yeah, it's definitely right. Like the only thing we know about him, he's terrible and he's pretty. <laughs> right, and it's weird too to look at it now because in Alana, like there was not a lot of exploration of like, and these are positive feminine traits. Right. This is femininity viewed positively. Yeah, most feminine women were also bad in Alana. Right, but in this book we have like you know some attention to like positive views of femininity and like still mm-hmm. this is evil femininity I guess because it's a feminine right. but yeah. like yeah it's real weird yeah I mean I don't really know how to read it other than like a loose queer coding mm-hmm. like yeah. as a villain trope yeah it's not great it's not great no. it's like it's the one of those things where it's like it's not great but it's also not egregious you yeah. know it's, there's nothing being done with it where it's like really obviously like it's not like blatantly transphobic or anything like it's just like kind of vague. I mean this is maybe the only point where it sort of slips over into being questionable where like it's apparently something that Neil has picked up on mm-hmm. and is now using right. mm-hmm. in a homophobic way mm-hmm. I mean even compared to uh, Alana where there was some of the subtext around Roger being like predatorily mm-hmm. gay mm-hmm. um like this is different than that this is better than that yeah. yeah although right i mean that does you know obviously joran is a really terrible person yeah um which we could talk about in this book but we could also save for a later yeah. book but it does in some ways like roger's queer villain sexuality is very tied up in you know, the way that he manipulates people and stuff, but Joran doesn't have any of that, which is good, but it also just makes it seem more like, you know, like Neil's picking on him here because he's pretty. Yeah. (laughs) Which is wild. Just wild. Yeah. Are we ready to move into palace gossip? Yeah. All right. Um, So... Uh, Well, this is um, an excerpt from a really good email we got. Um, I really appreciate all the time and effort that people have put into uh, lending their perspective to our discussion around Mm -hmm. representations of Yamani. Um, There's no way that we could do this in as much justice if we weren't getting input from listeners. So thank you so much. Um, But this is an email we got from uh, our listener, uh, Chinamai. I'm not sure on that pronunciation. Sorry. I think it's Chinami. But I'm just going to... Um, I'm just going to read a quote from this, uh, sort of a long quote, so bear with me. It's very good things, so good, good, good input, good perspective. <clears throat> There's a lot of issues with the treatment of the Yamani, which you've already talked about, but one thing that hasn't been discussed yet is that it's a very common trope to have white people come to East Asian countries, learn languages slash skills slash culture slash whatever from there, and, quote, do it better end quote, or at least to use all that to benefit themselves or other white people. Iron Fist and Dr. Strange are examples of that, although there are probably hundreds more. I would argue that Cal isn't quite as bad of an example as some of these other stories, because she doesn't place herself above the Yamani, and in later books, uh, minor spoiler, Yamani characters are shown on page. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think we've said that on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, anyway. uh, but it still follows a racist trope that is part of a broader phenomenon of white people taking East Asian aesthetics, which is what is behind cultural appropriation and whitewashing. 
whitewashing, not watching. Um, <laughs> it was kind of sad because as a Japanese American, I always wanted to relate to this aspect of Cal, and in a way I did, but at the same time, it was sort of hollow. Like, there were superficial parts I related to, but I could tell it wasn't written by someone who had experienced it. Uh, there are white people who, for one reason or another, are raised with strong connections to East Asian culture, and I think those could be interesting dynamics to explore. However, because this trope is used so often in a way that takes away East Asian representation, especially that of diaspora, and erases us from our own stories and cultures, it kind of sucks. Um, so I thought that was like an interesting perspective. That's the end. Mm -hmm. Now I'm talking. <laughs> yes. Um, but um, I think that's a really interesting perspective because we were kind of talking about in our um, previous Cal episodes, what would it look like if this was a Yamani main character? How would it mm -hmm. look differently if... Uh, the cultural connection was treated differently. And I think that this is a really good perspective mm -hmm. on that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I also think that um, the connection to stuff like Iron Fist is interesting because in some way that is a very um, common trope specifically with Asian cultures, but in some ways it's more similar. I mean, Cal is definitely like reminiscent of that, but not nearly as much as Alana is, um, which I think is interesting because mm -hmm. that was done... Um, I guess with a different culture, so there's slightly different tropes involved and in, and that type of thing. Right. But yeah, it it does make it sort of clear to me that there's a a trend here where right. like Alana was the straightest possible example of yeah, she's just gonna go off and like become part of another culture and find herself, you know. <laughs> and Kel is somewhat less of that, but still falls into that pattern. But yeah, thank yeah. you. That was a really good letter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for your letter. Uh, and the input that we talked about last week, too, I think uh, we're going to try and post the longer document that yeah, our listeners have it's, it's on the Tumblr. It's on Tumblr. So please check out our Tumblr and read that because it's super insightful mm -hmm. and we just couldn't fit all of it on the podcast. Yeah. Our Tumblr, by the way, is tortallrecall.tumblr.com and our Twitter is at tortallrecall. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, we were a little behind on thanking people who interacted with us, uh, and not out of negligence. Uh, or, yes, <laughs> like in a couple of cases. Out of yeah, <laughs> well, sorry, because we were gone for like two months. Yeah. yeah. Um, so also, like, I might not have exactly matched. There might be people who are falling into the gap, and I'm really sorry. Um, if you want to like send us an email that's just like, hey, I tweet at you a lot or something, then I will mention you next. Or episode. just like tweet um, us at us again, and you'll get yeah. on the list. The list next you time, like yeah, you don't have to do a lot to get on the list. I just feel bad uh, if I've left people out. And thank you so much to people who have reacted, uh, interacted, reacted, interacted, us, <laughs> interacted with us. Um, uh, so first, thank you to I've written thank you to my patron friends. Um, thank you. <laughs> Thank you to people who have supported our Patreon, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, Michaela, Emily, Rebecca, and Gretel. Uh, and if you are a patron and I didn't mention you, please comment on the post that we have on there uh, about what name you would like us to mention you with. Um, and for our email, thank you to uh, Rebecca, Helena, uh, Taryn? How do you say yeah, that name? Taryn? One of those. Don't okay. Know. Um, uh, Emma, Carla, jo Joan, uh, Nicole, Laura, and Eileen. Um, that's also where you went if you filled out the contact form on our website, which is another way you can get in contact with that's us. That's true. Um, now I'm going to really butcher some Twitter handles. <laughs> we always do. Um, so thank you at Life of... Do I have to say at? No, no you don't. Okay. Life of Tempest, Indigo Han, uh, Desi Kawa 5, 
Raggedy Bear Cat. Dovingly. Or do Just Dovingly. move on. <laughs> if, if we Marica. said your name very wrong and you want us to say it right, tweet the pronunciation at us. Marika, uh, Story Cats, Dorian Eyes, Writing Rissa, Megan D, Catherine uh, NZR, ILY Kramer, or Illy Kramer, maybe, um, D Maiden Bomb, Fangirl Becca Boo, and uh, Yael Kaplan. Um, great. Mm-hmm. So we have a Patreon, which you may have known because Grace just mentioned our patrons a second ago. Uh, we recently hit $100 per month on that Patreon, which is very exciting, and that was one of our goals. Um, so we are going to do a bonus episode for that that you guys get to pick the topic of well, if you're a patron, yes. right? Yep, patrons yes. get to pick a topic. Right. Um, so check that out if you're a patron or if you want to become a patron. We'll have information about that soon. It's very exciting. Thank you. Um, oh, We're going to try to use some of that money to get transcripts up faster, so that's exciting, and um, we're working on that. Yeah, thank you to our patrons for supporting us, and if you want to check that out, that's patreon.com slash tortallrecall. Uh, uh yeah, and please get in touch with us. I think we've already said most of the ways to do that. You can email us at tortallrecall at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone. You're really great. We love hearing from you. Thanks. We have a website. It's tortallrecall.com. Oh, and you can mm-hmm. rate and review us on iTunes. Um, yeah, just try whatever you're on. Try Tortal Recall. <laughs> yes. We don't have everything, but we have some yeah. of the things. Although- we have most things, so if you search our name, you'll probably find it. Yeah, although we've we've said that we said this last episode, Tumblr is really just a real rough pr- pr- platform yeah, to communicate Yeah, if you on. send us asks on Tumblr, we might not get them, and also we don't know when you sent them, so like... It's not ideal, but we w- we will see your asks, ma- assuming right. that Tumblr doesn't Hopefully. eat them. So <laughs> yeah, I did want to say thank you to the people who um, heard that and emailed us um, yeah. so yeah. that we could respond to their commentary. That was really helpful. I also really enjoyed just in terms of social media interaction. A couple of people kind of shared their. It seems like Cal is a real touchstone book for a lot of people, yeah. and a couple of people kind of shared their stories about when they first uh, encountered Cal, and that was just like a really fun little community time like i really enjoyed looking through them earlier today when i checked our twitter because i don't go on twitter really um, <laughs> yeah no it's really nice to read everything you guys have to say and your experiences with the books and stuff so thank you yeah um that was podcast that was podcast <laughs> that's our sign off that was podcast <laughs> Great, podcast did done that's did podcast amy's not here to make us say the real one <laughs> wait i'm the amy in this episode guys oh, we no. have to do it hello <laughs> Okay, well then you have to say the sign off. See you later, Charlene. I think that's it. Yeah, that's the sign off. <laughs> Scary, like, yeah. whisper slurping sound. <laughs> I was like, what is that? That's me whispering Gross. and slurping. <laughs> oh my god.